Welcome to Apolitik, a progressive discussion of politics for people who hate politics, and this is episode 10. Our goal is to encourage voter registration and voter participation in a process of transformation of our society in a more progressive direction. And what we would like to do is see everyone benefit, not just one group, but all people. So today we're going to talk about principle six of our progressive principles. And we'll outline that in a minute. We're just basically trying to increase equity and opportunity for everyone in the society, particularly people who have been historically left out and or oppressed. So we're looking forward to have you join us and welcome aboard for episode 10. for joining us for episode 10 of A Politic, and we want to remind you that if you haven't registered yet, please consider registering to vote. October 5th, Monday, is the deadline. Early voting starts October 6th, the next day, and November 3rd is the election, so we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of issues to cover. We hope you'll be joining us for many of these programs and we hope you're enjoying it. You can communicate to us on our email site at apolitik at gmail.com. Thank you. Have a great day. Welcome to the 10th episode of A Politic, and we're today going to focus on the sixth principle of progressive politics. Again, we're not promoting a party, we are promoting a philosophy, and the philosophy of progressivism is that we want everyone to increase their ability to function in the society. We want to increase people's personal empowerment. We want to increase their identity as winners, as successful, as capable. And we don't want to have losers. We don't want to have people who are discouraged and uh, disheartened about their identity and their potential in life because they truly are, each and every single person has amazing potential. And while we can't currently help those who are dealing with severe disabilities the way we will in the future, I believe, we do have to promote the idea that many people 
especially the traditionally um, people who have been oppressed, we need to get them thinking along a totally new line. So we're targeting African Americans, Latinos, Native Americans, and then the general category of women. And some people might say, well, wait a minute, why are you including women in that? And basically, Steve, women have only had the vote for about 100 years. So what, what do you think about including women in that list of people who have been considered traditionally uh, oppressed or left out or marginalized? Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of a no-brainer. I mean, to me, it's all about citizenship. And citizenship doesn't in and of itself designate a gender or a race or a religion. And so when you basically get into a situation where now over half of the population of our country are women, you know, and the fact that we're only celebrating the centenary of their ability to have the franchise of our of our society, <clears throat> and, and when you link that to the fact that even as as we speak, the average pay scale for a, a woman in our society is about eighty two cents on the dollar that a man gets for the same job. So, you know, we've come a ways, but we're not we're not over the finish line yet. And so, I think that uh, at the end of the day, uh, we have to be true to our creed, which is equal right, equal justice under law, and um, all men and women are created equal under that law. So equally empowered and equally supported by society to be successful in the way they define the term success. Whatever the definition of success is, it is colorblind. It is gender blind. It is, it has not, in our supposed, you know, template for uh, civil order, that all those definitions are, are off the table. Uh, we're talking about citizenship and under, uh, under uh, our way of life. And uh, citizenship, does, again, doesn't say anything about gender or race or religion. Okay. Now, in, historically, I mean, in Europe, um, you know, uh, you couldn't really be part of a society unless you held the faith of that, that country. So, um, you know, uh, I mean, England is a good example of that. You couldn't be, you know, part of the English tradition unless you were either a certain form of, of Protestant or, um, and so, um, you know, you really, you really are, are cutting, you know, your nose to spite your face by saying, well, you're not part of our society if you don't have this particular religious faith. And that's one of the things that I think the founders of America wanted to uh, short circuit. Yeah. Okay. So when we think about Native Americans, Latinos, African Americans, both male and female, we recognize that there has been a historic problem with empowering of these groups of people and we're going to spend a little bit of time today talking about this and we're going to talk about again the general proposition of increasing equity and opportunity for those who have been 
historically oppressed, but we want to take a look just real briefly at um, Native Americans or uh, people who would be considered first citizens or first um, occupiers of the North American continent. And I think everybody knows that these folks have been subject to all kinds of racial and genocidal um, problems and are still very greatly oppressed. What do you have to say about that? Well, I, um, we just have to look at the, uh, the way the society is, functions currently. I mean, um, even to this day, uh, if you go out to the Western uh, Native reservations, I mean, even though they feel that they would like to be part of their, their, their landed uh, sense of, of place, you know, there are boundaries around where, you know, this is, you know, it's almost as if uh, we're still cordoning off people according to their, their, um, their heritage. And there was a time when, uh, before Columbus uh, set foot on that beach, uh, the whole continent was populated by native people. And today, uh, we look at where the native, um, you know, tribal lands are and they're, they're, you know, a lot of them are out west, uh, and they're in kind of the most desolate land available. And then as soon as they find uranium or, or, or something, uh, all of a sudden, then there's an interest in wanting to um, expropriate the land for national defense or whatever. Um, so um, there's still a lot that's going on in terms of the native peoples of our society that yeah, there's a lot of redress of, of legitimate grievance there, I think. Well, we are going to have to have a national conversation on how to deal with oppression. And, of course, you don't have to go very far before slaves were brought into this country in 1600. And while people who are alive today were not involved in that, of course, we were removed by hundreds of years the oppression of African people brought here as slaves, we are still living with a degree of legacy for that slavery. And so the question is, a lot of black people think that they should receive reparations. They should receive a cash payment because they're still living in the legacy of the oppression. And so what would you say about that, Steve? Well, well, before that, I mean, the whole idea of the reservation, it sounds like it's a, um, a designated cordoned off tract of land. And, and just the idea of reservation kind of sets the tone there. But as far as um, reparations, I think that uh, instead of, in my opinion, every individual in you know, that feels that, that there is a reparation that is due them, instead of a cash check or something to the, every individual, I think the investment should be in educational access, uh, access to home ownership, 
um, basically making, you know, doing whatever redress we need through the institutional structures of our society so that if you're applying for a loan, there would be uh, an element of the financial equation that would take into account that the history of um, uh, the African-American experience and saying, look, you know, the interest rate would be 5%. But uh, because of your, uh, because of the national way we'd like to redress this historical grievance, you know, because of your race, your interest rate would be, you know, four percent, or some, something that basically shows that that the society as a whole is making some redress of historical grievance, rather than saying, okay, here's your twenty-five thousand dollar check, and then I don't know whether or not that that would would be the, the the best vehicle for uh, redressing that, that grievance. And then not everything can be financial in nature. Right. Well, that is where I think we need to have a something like a Truth and Reconciliation Commission that works similarly to the way they handled things in Germany after World War II, similarly to the way they handled the end of apartheid in South Africa, that we need to have some basic discussion about admitting that there have been genocide, there has been uh, terrible historic grievances that have been um, experienced by the, the relatives and the succeeding generations from these historic groups, and that we're going to do our best to, as a society, admit that we have done atrocious things and we're going to put some of our most gifted people together in a room to come up with a set of redressing, a set of solutions to deal with these problems. And this is not going to be something superficial, but it's going to be something that will probably take several years to really look at because might take several, real, it might take several generations. Well, it might, I it think, might, but you know what? It, again, we're not going to, we're not going to ask people to wait for 20 or 30 years. Oh, no, 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 okay. not at all. But I think that one of the, the, some of the pushback and we, there has to be some recognition of this sensibility towards people that would say, that happened uh, hundreds of years ago. I wasn't there. It's I. I didn't participate in that. I'm totally against what was done. But now, not being African American or not being a female, I won't. You know, I won't be able to uh, be considered in the population that is being given the the the. the uh, the, the the solution to solving some of the historical redress of grievances. And they're going, well, in other words, this one person uh, I remember seeing on TV not too long ago, they were asked about something regarding um, Black Lives Matter. And they go, well, I, I didn't do that. I, you know, that didn't happen in my generation. So why should why should it fall on on me to say, well, look, you don't get the same consideration under this new architecture of redress well that's because you're not african-american or you're not a a woman or 
uh, a native person. I mean, sure. you've gotta, you got to. There has to be a counter or an answer to that. To yes, that, I think to, you're right. Part and of our society. This is where again we need a national conversation to identify the issues, to identify the objections, to identify all the various points of view. And again, that doesn't mean that every point of view is seen as equal in validity, but at least it gives everybody a chance to make their points, to have their say, and then we then move forward to say, okay, we have to recognize that there are historic consequences to these things, and that's what we're going to try to do now is we're going to try to deal with the legacy. The legacy, that's that the word that I think. still here. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the legacy in our time has consequences. Yes. And, it, and we're addressing the consequences uh, in our time of this, this historical legacy. And um, it, it will definitely be um, um, an equation that will have a lot of variables to it. No question Absolutely. About it. And the thing is, in the past, we've had historically, and I'll put some links in the show notes, we've had times where we've examined things. For example, after the Watergate era, we had uh, the Watergate Commission. We had the Kerner Commission that talked about the riots and civil rights uh, demonstrations. There was the Kennedy assassination probe, which of course there's still a lot of questions about that. But again, I think also if we look at how Germany dealt with their experience with the rise and fall of the Nazi experience and also the rise and the fall of apartheid, that we can truly make a historic breakthrough of discussing and facing and then dealing with the consequences and legacy of slavery, of the genocide of the native peoples. And also we just sort of mentioned it in passing and haven't dealt with it in this discussion, the experience of people, Hispanics, and Asians who no, have moved I mean, to the United except States. For the, except for the native peoples, where everybody else in this country is an immigrant. That's right. <laughs> or has, well, or and has they were heritage too. in immigration. And they were too, that's the point. No one came here originally, but there were people who lived here 2,000 years ago, and not just in the United States, but all throughout the continent, from Canada all the way down to the tip of South America, there were people who lived here for thousands of years before Europeans. There, or there was came. a little piece in the paper here a couple of weeks ago that they came across a cave somewhere in, in, I don't know, some South American country. And they're still doing some analysis, but that they came across some caves that might have bones as old as 25,000 years, and which pushes back the, the date understood to be when, you know, the first humans came to this side of the planet. And um, uh, so, uh, you know, um, humans have been, you know, in the North and South American continent for maybe even longer than we had maybe assumed. Wow. 
Well, that's great. I tell you what, we're going to have to end it there for today, but we're going to go into more detail about the sixth principle in our next session. Thank you, Steve, for joining me. Uh, thank you for letting me participate, Bill.